Hello and welcome to another episode of the Back Check, the Hockey History Podcast. I am Riley and I am joined by Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Doing great, thanks. And today we have our usual uh, gauntlet of uh, an eligible player, um, a recently inducted player, and an old-timer who has been inducted. And our eligible player is Marion Hosa. He's not actually quite eligible yet, but he just recently sort of formally announced his retirement, even though... As we will talk about, he's still getting paid. Um, and then Sergey Fedorov, um, another. Uh, we're 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 trying to have we were trying to have a theme of defensive forwards, uh, offensive defensive forwards, and uh, so we got Sergey Fedorov, who was inducted two years ago. And, and then uh, breaking with the theme, we have Joe Malone, who was just pure offense, as we will see when we talk about him. <laughs> anyway, um, so we're going to start with our eligible player, uh, Marion Hosa, who just retired. Uh, his career, he played from 1997 to 2017. That's 19 seasons, 18 of which were quality. He scored 525 goals, which is uh, first for Slovaks all time, 609 assists, which is second for Slovaks, for um, 1,134 points, which is second for Slovaks. He's a plus 245, which is first, in 1,309 games, which is the second most by a Slovak player. And he played... Uh, an average of 18 minutes and 41 seconds on the ice. And that's for all but seven games he played in his career because the first seven were, they were not recording ice time. And he uh, totaled 144.2 point shares. Hosa is fourth all time in goals per game and eighth in eight uh, assists per game and sixth in points per game among Slovakian NHL players. In his draft year, 1997, Hosa was drafted 12th overall, and he is second in goals, assists, and points, first in plus-minus, and third in games played. Um, I believe that was the Joe Thornton draft, yes, which is why he's not first. Yeah, and 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 uh, Marlow as well. Um, era of the seven players play in at least 1,250 games between 1997 and 2017, Hosa is second in goals. Second in goals per game, second in assists per game, second in points per game, <laughs> second in offensive point shares, third in assists, third in points, third in point shares, first in plus minus. Um, his 82 game average was 33 goals, 39 assists, 471 points, plus 15. His three year peak was from 2003 to 2007. Uh, obviously, their lockout was in there. 82 game average of 40 goals, 53 assists, 492 points, plus 13, which is pretty good for that era. It's possession stats since 2007-08. Uh, uh, 54.6% uh, Corsi 4, which is 18th uh, for all players who played in at least 500 games over that period. 1.9% relative Corsi. 54.4% uh, Fenwick 4, is that 16th with the same qualifier, and 1.8% relative Fenwick 4. So very good uh, possession player. Top 20 in the league. Um, the playoffs, 52 goals, 97 assists, 449 points, plus 25 in 205 games. His adjusted numbers are 594 goals, which is 22nd all time, 663 assists for 1,257 points. His adjusted 82-game average is 37 goals, 42 assists, 79 points, so a little bit better than his regular one. In terms of his adjusted points per game, if the qualifier is set to 1,250 games, Hosa is 17th all-time in adjusted PPG. However, if it's dropped to 1,000 games, he's no longer in the top 25. And he was traded twice in his prime. Okay. Um, 
I'll just do a quick review of his draft year since we talked about it. Um, so Joe Thornton went one, Patrick Marlowe two, Ole Jokinen three, Luongo four, Eric Brewer five. Uh, and then other notables would be Sergei Samsonov at eight, because uh, uh, Boston had the two picks that year. Uh, Nick Boynton at nine. Uh, Hosa at 12. Uh, and then I think we go all the way down to uh, Scott Hannon before there's a name that sort of jumps out. Uh, Brendan Morrow's there. He's never an all-star apparently, but uh, he was a very good player for a while. And then after that, it is, wow, just like... A lot of like everyday players, but nobody who really stands out. Maximus Fenijanov in the third round. Huselius. At one point, but I mean, there's no, there are no names that jump out as like wow. So I mean, it was a very top-heavy draft that year. Yeah, absolutely. And Hota being 12, I guess. I mean, you could argue with him and Luongo probably, but he probably should have been three or four. Um, it looks like so. Yeah, I, well, I mean, that could be. There could be any number of reasons. One of which was that he was European. Um, well, uh, oh, Jokinen went third. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But he's like the thing about that is, um, the Europeans fall into different categories of. Yeah, Jokinen's from a more traditional hockey market, whereas like once once Czechoslovakia broke broke in half, I'm sure there were people who were talking themselves into like all the good hockey players mm-hmm. are in Czechia, well, what is now called Czechia. Yeah. Anyway. I would <laughs> Although uh, there was another Slovakian drafted seventeenth uh, that year, so. so goes. Yeah, I should just stop talking. <laughs> no, that's all right. There, there definitely was an era where everybody thought all the good players that ended up on the uh, Czech side. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's two Slovakians taken there, and I don't think I see a Czech flag for a while. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, that particular year didn't hold true. Um, but it is very the drafts. You'll notice now it's very. Um, it's very sort of all kinds of different nations sort of splitting it up. Some years it's Finn heavy, some years yeah. it's American heavy. And the old days it used to be so Canada heavy. It was ridiculous yeah. Um, yeah. with the occasional American or Finn or Swede like punched in there. And of course, back in those days, the, uh, the Russians, well, we didn't know if they'd come over or not. And, you know, so they got drafted a lot later than that. You, even this draft, there's like 70, 80, canadians out of the 200 oh yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's, i mean it's yeah maybe even more than that i'm that's a rough that's just a rough scroll through it might be 100 might be more than 100 i can't tell yeah, yeah. it's definitely changed since then yeah um, okay so uh back to our uh back to our regularly scheduled program um so his accomplishments, he was top five in Selkie voting once, which, by the way, seems ridiculous because he's I, a very good defensive. I forward. completely agree. Yeah. I, I think that's just because he's not a center. I yeah, I was I, I was shocked when I saw that. I was yeah. shocked. Yeah, me too. That's That surprises me a lot because that's the one thing that, you know, I'm a Vancouver fan, so he, when he's in Chicago, I hated playing against him. Him and Taves, the two of them, just like ah, oh, like we, like we, if we stop them, it's fine. But like we, we're never going to score against them because they're both so good defensively. Yeah. Um, so that was very surprising. Um, he was top five in Calder voting. He was the top five offensive player by uh, offensive point share twice in 04 and 07. He was top ten three times, so also in 03. Um, he scored 45 goals once, 40 goals three times, 35 goals five times, 30 goals eight times, 25 goals 13 times, one of only 24 players, and 20 goals 15 times. 
Um, his consistency is definitely one of those things yep. that really pops out to me. Um, he tallied 50 assists twice, 40 assists five times. He scored 100 points once, 90 points twice, 80 points four times, 70 points seven times, 60 points 11 times, and 50 points 14 times. He was top five in goals three times. He was top 10 four times. He was top five in goals per game once. He was top 10 four times. He was top five in points once and top 10 twice. He was top 10 in points per game twice. Top 10 in plus minus once. He was a first all-team rookie. Um, sorry, he was a first-team all-rookie. Um, he was a second-team all-star once. He, was, uh, he had five all-star game appearances and three star awards, rookie of the month once, a monthly second star once, a weekly first star once, a weekly second star twice, and a weekly third star twice. And for his great teams, because of his nationality, it's going to be short on international. Um, he was best forward on one final four, the uh, 2003 Senators. He was a top three forward on one uh, champion, the um, 2013 Blackhawks. One runner-up, the 2008 Penguins, and one uh, final four, which is the 2014 Blackhawks. Who's a top six forward on two champions, the 2010 and 2015 Blackhawks, and one runner-up, the 2009 Red Wings. And he was also a tournament all-star on one Memorial Cup champion, the 1998 Winterhawks, and there are no international accomplishments because Slovakia. Mm. So um, I just wanted to re-echo, I was like when I went to do the, this and saw, you know, top five in Selkie voting once my jaw kind of dropped. Yeah. I figured it was going to be like five times or something. Yeah. Same and here. And I don't even like the guy. So it's not like yeah. I'm campaigning for him. I'm just like, the, what really? That's the one thing he was fantastic at. Like, and here's the thing. So annoying he, to play. he was only, uh, he was only top 10 three times. That's crazy. He got nominated for the Selkie. The majority of his career, there were, I believe four years in his in his nineteen or eighteen seasons that he wasn't nominated for the Selkie, but usually he was in like the the fit the top fifteen or sometimes the top twenty. Like one time he was a uh, one time he was fortieth, so like he got like one vote. Um, well, that was that was like two years ago, uh, okay. but still, no, okay, like the fact is like that this is a guy who was widely regarded to be, you know, one of the best defensive forwards in the league for the vast majority of his career, I think is safe to say. And I think you're absolutely, you know, I, I would, I would agree with you that it's because he was not a center, except there, the, the exception to that is uh Leidenen, who yes. was not a center who won like three times or twice or something. And I don't know why he, he got the, like, they decided it was okay for him to win and he's not a center. Um, I, but what I think it might be level of competition too, where like you've got a guy like Taves, you got a guy like Bergeron, you got a guy like yeah. Kessler, all in the same era, where it's like, man, those guys are like big time that, game changers with their defense. That's true. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it might just be if he had played in that era, I would assume that he would have gotten the accolades that Lettinen got. You would hope, anyways. Yeah, I mean, like the like year he finished fifth, you know, three of the four guys ahead of them. I have literally zero problem with. Yeah. And the, the fourth, it, it's just because I never watched St. Louis play, but it's Bergeron, Kopitar, Taves, and Bacchus. Okay. So I'm good with Bergeron, Kopitar, and Taves. And the only reason I'm not sure about Bacchus is because, frankly, I never saw St. Louis play. 
Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Bacchus was, uh, he was the guy that made that team go. And I mean, he's, he never lights it up offensively. So you, and boy, he's tough to play against. He's, uh, he's a very, he's a very fine defensive player. Yeah. Um, so like another year, um, Bergeron, Taves, Kopitar, Bacchus, Datsuk, Pacioretty. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I get it. Those are his two best finishes though, that I looked at his competition. I mean, there's other, there's probably, if we went, if we spent the entire podcast going through all the votes, I'm sure we would find something, some egregious people ahead of him in oh, certain cases. Like I bet, I bet there's like a, you know, there's a year where like some Pittsburgh people voted for Crosby like as a, <laughs> uh, for the Selkie in like 2008 or something. And Hosa's like below and you're just like, what? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, I just like, to me, I'll, I'll, I mean, obviously I think, I think like based on conversations we've had on previous episodes where we're, you know, he has the longevity numbers to make it very, very difficult. And especially given the era he played in, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you can't really say he doesn't belong because he, I mean, as I pointed out when we're reading the stuff, if you adjust for era, he's in the top 25 in goals period, yep. uh, total. So um, I, I think that he has a strong case, but I, I just sort of assumed before I, I went and did the research that his case was going to be, you know, the guy who should have won a Selkie but didn't. And while putting up these impressive, you know, like you said, this consistent offensive output was also an elite defensive player. And, you know, 50 years from now or 25 years from now, it's going to be hard to make that case because, well, somewhat we have, at least we have the possession stats for half of his career, but you know, without any Selkies won and with that like crappy Selkie voting rest, uh, record, I'm like, it's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be like, what, you know, we have the same problem. Well, less so because we have the internet, but like with like these old timer guys who we can't actually shit. Sorry. I should clearly, I should have put my phone on mute um, before we started. I need I'll go to ahead and do the same right now. <laughs> <laughs> I need to learn this lesson multiple times, apparently. Anyway, um, my long rant is just to say, like, I think it's kind of a shame that he didn't uh, win one because I think that it's possible that without doing a deep dive in the future, people are going to forget how good he was as a defensive player. Yeah, you know what? And that's one of those things that the highlights don't show, too. Like, they'll watch highlight reels and be like, oh, remember him? And he scored some wonderful goals, and people will sort of see that and be like, oh, yeah, he did look like he was pretty good. But they won't realize that. See, the thing is, just as a goal scorer, I I think he probably should be in or very close to being in. Um, when you adjust for the era that he played in for the uh, the beginning of his career. But I mean, I always think of him as like, you know, a good goal scoring winger. But then when I watched him play a lot because they played Vancouver every year, I'm like, that guy is like impossible to play against. Like yeah. he just, he always wins the board battles. Like he was so annoying to play against. Like I, yeah. that's why I don't like him. Cause he yeah. would always just be like that thorn in your side that, you know, you'd, be like, okay, Taves is having an okay game and Kessler kind of neutralizes him. If somebody hits Kane, he's not going to do it. Oh, and there's Hosa, son of a, <laughs> you know, like he's yeah. always there, like sort of in the way. Like I I forgot how good he is. Crap. <laughs> like, and the yeah. thing that drove me crazy too was he wasn't just good offensively where you're like, if he doesn't score any goals, he won't make a difference. He's so good defensively that yes, he would create a turnover and then you're in trouble kind of thing. You know, he was just a very annoying guy to play against. And to me, that 
you know, that, that, that sort of in addition to his offensive numbers, just sort of, it's to me, that makes him as close as close to a lock as I'm willing to say it's just cause I don't like him, but I mean, yeah. I, I, th- I think he should be in. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how the guys who played at this particular time, like again, the same way, right? Like he, again, has lots of goals yeah. and Thornton will be the same way, even though, well, Thornton's going to have, has so many damn assists that he'll be fine. Oh yeah. But like, you know, their numbers, if the, if you shift their career twenty years earlier, oh my god, yeah. they're going to have ridiculous numbers, and so you know it is unfair to like to say about someone like Hosa, oh he only scored five hundred twenty five goals, or he only had eleven hundred points because of course, and that doesn't put him in the top tier because of course he like you said he played part of his career in an era where scoring was really really low, and even now. Yeah. Um, well, like, you know, for most of the, 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 like the lockout to lockout era, yes, scoring was up, but it was never remotely close to what it was, um, for most of the eighties and into the early nineties. So like, for me, I don't, I don't think there's anything like, I look at this resume and I go like, he was consistently very, very good. Um, you know, for a very long time, he was briefly, great um on the offensive end i mean and yeah. then um you know he had those a uh, couple years where he was a top five offensive player yeah and then of course he was elite defensively even though he wasn't recognized for it really and and i i uh, i mean i don't to me it's no question yeah. um like i'm more comfortable with someone like him getting in than some of the other people we've talked about who have uh perhaps slightly more gaudy offensive numbers but who played in uh you know, uh, a higher scoring era. Like for me, it's easier. I have no problem saying Hosa in over say Andrew Chuck, for example. Um, I would agree with that, but I also feel like I didn't see all of Andrew Chuck's career. Yeah. So, yeah fair. Um, you know, I have seen all of Hosa's career, so I feel like that's a, a one that I can make a, and you know, he started, you know, <laughs> he's in Atlanta to start and you're like, yeah, yeah. that Hosa is pretty good along with uh, Kovalchuk or whoever, whoever the hell they have out there. And then he goes to Ottawa and you're like, holy shit, that guy's pretty good. And then he ends up, you know, doing the whole trade around thing and trying to, trying to find his way as a free agent to winning a cup, which made me really not like him. And then yeah. he went to Chicago and drove me crazy. I'm <laughs> like, okay. I already didn't like you for the getting traded every year and trying to win a cup, like just being a mercenary for hire. Now you got traded to Chicago. I hate you so much. He did have some really crappy luck there though. eh? I know. Like, I know. You know. He was on the, the, he was on the penguins when they lost. And then he was on the red wings he when they lost. Teams. I know. Well, if he wouldn't have switched teams, it would have been yeah, all those guys must've just loved to stick it to him. And Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure everyone thought that was fantastic. When he, for, uh, when he switched to Chicago, I was just waiting for him to lose again. And I was so hopeful because I wanted the song to keep going. And, you know, how yeah. sweet it is to watch Hosa lose. Because he would always lose in the finals. And then he won. I'm like, ah, crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have a very clear dis- dislike for him, but yeah. uh, a, a huge respect for how good of a hockey player he was. That's the thing. When you when you sports hate someone, it's usually because they're really good and they yeah. always hurt your team somehow. And you're just like, ah just drives you crazy so yeah yeah all right shall we move on to uh mr fedorov yeah 
Yes, let's do. Because we have no debate about Hosa, apparently. <laughs> no, we really don't. I know it's it's surprising because I dislike him so much, but it, you know, I just there's not really an argument to be made. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so um, we we were, as I mentioned at the top, we were thinking of a theme, and the theme was going to be defensively responsible uh, players who are also good offensively, but uh, we have no idea who that was if such a player existed old timer wise. So Fedorov is going to have to be our last of these <laughs> because Joe Malone is certainly the opposite. I mean, as far as we know, yeah. I don't think anyone played defense as forwards, but who, who knows? I have yeah. no idea. It's hard to know about back then. Are you all set or you need me to stall Just longer? Waiting for it to line up. <laughs> I think it's your turn actually. No, no, we're well. It doesn't matter. I can do. I can do that. That's that works. You want me to do it? Yeah, my. Yeah, right. go ahead. My phone. Right. Oh no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Technical difficulty. Sergei Fedorov, um, in the NHL from 1990 to 2009, 18 seasons, 17 quality. He scored 483 goals, third for a USS-born player all time. Um. 696 assists, which is first, for uh, 1,179 points, which is first. A plus 261 in 1,248 games. Uh, the plus 261 is first, by the way, and 200, uh, 1,248 games is fourth. Um, he averaged uh, roughly 20, 20 minutes uh, a game on average time on ice, uh, 1952 to be specific. Uh, and that, of course, that's only since uh, 98, 99. Who knows what it was before, but I remember him being on the ice quite a bit, especially those yeah. power plays. Um, and he has a 125.6 point share, which is eighth. Fedorov is the eighth USSR-born player all time in goals per game, fifth in assists per game, and seventh in points per game, with hockey reference rate st uh, statistic qualifiers applied. Fedorov is third all-time among USSR-born players in offensive point shares. Uh, in his draft class, which is 1989, Fedorov drafted 74th overall, because, of course, nobody thought he would come over, um, is second in goals, points, and plus-minus. He is third in assists, but fifth in games played. Of the 19 players to play in at least 1,200 games between 1990 and 2009, Fedorov is seventh in goals, assists, points, and offensive point shares, fifth in goals per game, sixth in assists per game and points per game, fourth in plus minus, and ninth in point shares. Um, his 82 game average 32 goals, 46 assists for 77 points, and a plus 17. His three year peak from 93 to 96. An 82-game average of 45 goals, 65 assists for 110 points, and a plus 42. Which is which ridiculous. all ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, his possession numbers since 2007, two seasons, a 57.8 Corsi 4, um, which is 10th, a 41 Corsi 4 relative, which is uh, 20th. He has a 57.4 Fenwick 4, which is 12th, and a 3.7 Fenwick 4 relative, which is 21st. Um, play, his playoff stats, 52 goals, 124 assists, 8th all-time. For 176 points, 15th all-time. 
and a plus 38. Fedorov is 12th all-time in playoff assists per game. His adjusted stats, 508 goals, 718 assists for 1,226 points. His adjusted 82-game average, 33 goals, 47 assists for 81 points. His adjusted points per game, if the qualifier is set to 1,000 games, Fedorov falls just outside of the top 25, and he was traded twice after his prime. Okay, so his accomplishments, he won the Hart in 1994. He also won the Selkie in 1994, and again in 1996. He was also awarded what we now call uh, the Ted Lindsay in 1994. I think it had a different name back then. Um, he was top was the, five. Uh, wasn't it the Lester B. Pearson? Yeah, it was the Pearson, yeah. Um, he was top five in heart voting an additional time, probably in 96, but I didn't write it down. Uh, he was top five in Selkie voting three other times in addition to the two times he won. And he was top five in Calder voting in his rookie year. Uh, he was a top five player by point shares once in 1994. He was the best offensive player in the league in 1994 by offensive point shares. He scored 55 goals once, 35 goals three times. 30 goals, 10 times, 25 goals, 12 times, and 20 goals, 13 times. He tallied 60 assists twice, 50 assists four times, 40 assists six times. He scored 120 points once, 100 points twice, 80 points five times, 70 points six times, 60 points 12 times, 50 points 13 times. He was top five in goals once, top five in goals per game once, top 10 assists once, top 10 assists per game once, top five in points once, top 10 twice, top five in points per game once, uh, top 10 three times. Top five and plus minus twice, top 10 three times. He was a first team all star once, first team all rookie as well, rookie of the month. And he had six all star game appearances. Okay. Um, so just looking at his 1990 draft, that's the Owen Nolan uh, Peter Nedved year. Um, oh, it was 89. He was 89. Oh, he was 89. Sorry. That's yeah. why I didn't see him. So Matt's. Ah, oh, yes. And let me type that in because uh, I think that was also a pretty good year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lidstrom, Holik, Garen, Adam Foot, your favorite, Patrice Brisois. <laughs> Mike Sillinger, not so good. It drops off pretty quickly. Yeah, a lot of you know good names at the top and some random ones peppered through. Bill Garen. Uh, there's some good guys in there. So. My, <laughs> I'd like to go through Detroit's picks for that year because I think it's very interesting. Okay. Number 11 overall, Mike Sillinger. Yeah. Bob Bugner. And the second Bob round, Bugner. I remember Bob Bugner. Bobby Bugner, yeah, the boogeyman. Um, Nicholas Lidstrom in the third round. So they drafted Mike Sillinger first yeah. <laughs> and Bob Bugner, then Nick Lidstrom, <laughs> yeah. then Sergei Fedorov. Yeah. That is a good draft. God damn. And then those other guys were both very look, useful. Look players. who they drafted 221st. Hang on, I'm still scrolling. Oh, Dallas Drake, I remember him. No, uh, but yeah, further down though. Oh yeah, because there used to be a million rounds. Um, yeah. 221st overall. The tension is is the suspense is killing me. Do you want me to tell Constantino. you? Yeah. Oh man. So they drafted like their top D pairing in the third and 11th yeah. rounds. Yeah. My God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Worth noting too, because I don't know if we'll ever get to him, but if Vladimir Konstantinov hadn't been involved in that terrible accident, I think he would have been a lights out Hall of Famer. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's what everyone... I mean, I wasn't really watching enough hockey back then, but uh, I think that is generally the the consensus. He was the Russian Scott Stevens, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, sorry about that. I just always no. like to go through the drafting thing and sort of figure out exactly where uh, where they sort of fit in terms of where they should have been drafted. <laughs> um, his great teams. He was the best player. He led the playoffs in assists and points on one Stanley Cup runner-up, the 95 Red Wings. Uh, he was the best skater by points on one champion, the 97 Red Wings. He was a top three forward. He led the playoffs in goals on one champion, the 98 Red Wings. He was a top three forward. He led the playoffs in assists on one final four, the 96 Red Wings. He was a top three forward on one champion, the 02 Wings. He was a top three forward by points on one Olympic runner-up, uh, 98 Russia, and one bronze medal, 02 Russia. He was the best forward, perhaps, uh, by points, at least, uh, on one World Cup bronze, the 96 Russia. Uh, he was a top three forward by points on two world champions, 89 USSR and 08 Russia. He was a top six forward by points on one world champion, 90 USSR, and one runner-up, 10 Russia. Um, he had an unknown role on one Goodwill Games champion, 90 USSR, when he defected, so he might not have played. Um, he had an unknown role on three European champions, 88, 89, and 90 H, uh, HC CSKA Moscow, and an unknown role on one Super Series, the 90 HC CSKA Moscow, and an unknown role on one USSR Cup champion, 88 HC CSKA Moscow, and an unknown role on two Soviet League champions, 88 and 89, and again for the same club. Yeah. Well, even before, I mean, he was obviously, he was in that program that was just killing everybody, the, the Moscow team, uh, which Makarov was also on um, before Makarov left. Yeah. Um, but like one of the things that stuck out for me, the great teams is like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's funny because like one of the things that I noticed when doing this is like he, he really offensively, he had essentially one incredible year. And then yes, he scored 100 points another time. But like, in terms of its placement in the league, he was the best offensive player in the league once, and he was never in the top 10 ever again. Yeah. But on the other hand, he, um, you know, was was good enough to be a, a an important player on a Russian international team two decades apart, which I find crazy. Like oh, yeah. in '89, and then again in 2008. And so I mean. He, Later in his, the thing is with Fedorov that I always remember about him is like, I always thought like Burry was a better goal scorer, McGillney probably too, um, but Fedorov was just so smooth and such a good skater. Like they even played him defense for a couple. Uh, like Scotty Bowman actually put him back on defense at one point. It said like you're such a good skater and we need you to play back there and I want you to play better defensively because he was starting to sort of cherry pick and get a lot of points and he's like no 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 I don't think so buddy. You're going to play defense like not just i'm going to make you play defensively as a forward i'm going to actually put you on defense and then you'll sort of realize what you have to do and it was and he was good at it like you just he's such a good skater that it didn't matter where you put him like he could just be all over the ice so i mean yeah. and the thing is with i mean you look at his plus minus and it, it, it again it reminds me of hosa you can say what you want about his offensive stats and say like ah, maybe he's not the best but like 
as a complete player, he's pretty hard to put down. Yeah, and, and unlike Jose, he got the recognition, right? Because he has he the did. two Selkies, and then he has top five, five years. He was top, yeah. top five in Selkie voting, including his two wins, which is, you know, relatively rare feat. Um, you know, it's it's like, and even then, there were uh, there are other years where he was he was top ten a whole ton of times, um, roughly like another three or four years, I think. In addition to that, so basically, almost half his career, he was, you know, uh, one of the top ten Selkie nominees, which is like says something. You know, unfortunately, less information <laughs> about Hosa yeah. uh, with regards to that. But yeah, I mean, you know, he was he was very uh good defensively and just so happened to have that one crazy year where for whatever reason everything lined up for him offensively as well. I mean obviously like I said he had another he had good years like the the shortened season in ninety five he had a good year and he had a good year in ninety six. But then he like when the league stopped scoring he really did too. And you know he never he only went back up to eighty points one more time after uh, 1996, which is kind of crazy given how long he played. Yeah. Um, but you know, he 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 was also, um, you know, he he didn't he wasn't he wasn't as injury prone as some guys, but he didn't play an absolute ton, right? Like, yeah. if you look at his games, he played one full season. Now he played five seasons where he made it into 80 games, but there's a lot of 70s on there. There's a few 60s. You know, he he missed a few games each year. Due to injury, which is one of the reasons why he he doesn't have 500 goals. Yeah. You no, know, I think had he been a little healthier, he probably. I mean, he was only 17 shy. He probably would have had 500 pretty easily had he. Right, yeah. I'm actually um, surprised he didn't play just to make sure he hit that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frankly, um, but I mean, his last year, uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't great, I think. And uh, what was his ice time? Yeah, he was playing the lowest ice time of his career since it had been tracked. And um, he also was not, he was basically, well, his year for Columbus too uh, was bad. Yeah. It was worse actually, um, which was two years before that. But he basically, he was, he'd been slumping offensively for ever since uh, the lockout. Mm. And uh, like, if you look at his numbers post lockout, you know, his points per game or here's a guy who'd been averaging anywhere between 0.8 and 1.4 points per game every season he was in the league. And then after the lockout, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.6. Okay. Yeah. So, so clearly something happened. Yeah. Um, you know, age, obviously. <laughs> I mean, maybe something else too. And he was also old, right? Like he played a long time. And yeah, he's, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, at that point, how long had he been in the league? Like A long time. I mean, he'd been in since 90, 90. So he'd been in like, you know, 16 years, basically. And the, so, the lockout year off probably hurt him more than a lot of players, you would think. You yeah, I don't I don't remember if he played for anyone that he year. He must have gone back to Russia and played, I would assume. Um, yeah. But, but I think it happened to a lot of players, right? A lot of players who were okay in 2004 come back in 2005. And they're just, 2006, and they're like not the same anymore. Totally, yeah. And, and especially the guys who were, 
maybe not at the end of their careers, but definitely on the downhill slope. It just the man they came back and it looked like they couldn't skate. And you're yeah, like, people. It happened to didn't it happen to Shanahan? I think if I remember um, correctly. Am I getting I think that wrong? So, yeah. And uh, definitely happened to Andrew. Um, I feel like it might have even happened to it happened to McGilney maybe. Um, it happened to a bunch of guys like yeah. of of this vintage. Yeah. And yeah, I mean that's what happens when your your stupid commissioner uh, is greedy. <laughs> you yeah, lose a good just, year, people loses career. An entire year of hockey. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, this is like, for me, this is, this is an easy episode. Like we, I was looking at all these guys. I like, I have no, like, like Fedorov, like you said, you know, he doesn't have the eye popping, um, offensive numbers, certainly the career totals. And you, if you ignored his defensive ability, you could say, well, he only had one great year, but yeah. He was elite defensively, and fortunately, he played long enough to get in to the possession stats so that we had at least two years of it, and those two years are impressive. Absolutely. I mean, here's a guy in his late... Here's a guy in his late... Despite the fact he can't score anymore, relatively speaking, like he's he's lost 0.2 points per game on his, on his scoring. This is a guy in his late 30s. He's 39, and his Corsi percentage... His Corsi four percentage in his final year of his career is sixty point seven, which is like, yeah, got to be one of the possibly. I don't. I didn't look for that individual year. He played fifty two games that season. It's he's got to be, if not first in the league that year. Very very close. That's a, that's really high. Oh yeah, um, I think that's one of the highest numbers we've seen since we started doing this. Yeah, if not yeah. the highest. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is that, like, I think Datsuk was still in this prime, so it's possible that Datsuk was, you know, outcoursing him that year because he's like the king of that. Um, yeah, when we yeah, get to him, it's going to be like he was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we get to Datsuk and we're looking at like the period that he like, we have his Corsi, He's going to be like first for both Corsi and Fender, but it, or pretty close to it anyway. Just like just like the Sedins, but um, anyway, I just like I see that. He, here he is. He's he's old, and he's still he's still, <laughs> he's still able back. to drive possession. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I, I have no uh, I have no issues with him being inducted. Yeah, um, I, when I, he I was, think that, I think that he, along with a lot of the other Red Wings, um, Iserman, once he changed his game from being I'm going to score 130, 140 points a year to maybe 160 i don't know how high he went but yeah it was 165 with his you know, i mean he was just everybody's like oh he's an offensive dynamo he's gonna be the next gretzky and then he was like oh no the nhl is changing i'm gonna learn how to play defense um and then became just this possession monster um and i think with fedorov too it's like the red wings sort of invented that if we have the puck the other team can't have it therefore they can't hurt us let's keep the puck and i guess a lot of that has to do with how many Russians they had where like, if they didn't like the way a play looked, just like, whoop, let's just loop around and keep the puck. Like if they don't have it, they can't hurt us. Like, let's just keep the puck. And so I think that mentality and the way Scotty Bowman saw the game when the wings started to become very good in the nineties, they really changed the way hockey is. And yeah. it's, they were like 20 years ahead of the curve, right? Like, I mean, now Absolutely. that's the way hockey is. It's hang on yeah. to the puck and you'll probably win. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and the and the numbers correlate. You know the reason why, 
everyone's into it now is because people have demonstrated it. Even those years that like the teams have succeeded, um, you know, despite their terrible courses, they've come crashing down to earth the next year. You know, the yeah. um, unfortunately uh, the 2013 Maple Leafs being one of those. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been demonstrated. There's a strong correlation between having the puck all the time and, uh, and, and winning. And yeah. to that, I, I do want to say to the people who, who questioned that at one point, like, no shit. Of course, <laughs> of course, because when you think about like the essence of dump and chase, yeah. there's something fundamentally really stupid about it, yeah. which is that you are giving the puck up in order to get it back. The only way that dump and chase works is if you beat the guy to the puck yeah. or create a puck so battle you have when to you be get there. You fast. have to have the speed for it to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And anyway. that's what a lot of teams don't get. They say, oh, let's chip yeah. and chase. But like, by the way, if you don't get there, you're just giving the puck away for no reason, right? Just yeah. so you can get off. And like, as, as the Leafs used to find out, mm-hmm. you know, in their battles against defensive-oriented teams in the, uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, which is when I was watching religiously, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have a puck handling goalie on the other end, oh God, yeah. it really doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible strategy. And it's 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 great that people have finally realized this. <laughs> and and you know, like you said, the 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 nineties Red Wings and into the two thousands were like the team that, you know, demonstrated this to everyone before people were actually tracking the information to yeah. prove it. What? And yeah, and Fedorov was a very, very crucial part of that. Well it's it's interesting you say that actually, because I, I used to have a friend when we were teenagers and he used to just like one of those people who like uses the slightly wrong word every time, but what he actually said actually made sense to me because I used to say like, Oh, they're playing dump and chase. And he used to say dump and change. And I'm like, Oh, I guess, I guess in the nineties, that's kind of what it was. You would just dump it and change because I'm not going to get the puck. I don't need it. I'm just going to play the trap. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So like it kind of made sense from his perspective that he would mishear it like that and say it that way. But you know, the, the Red Wings did that so well that even after long after Bowman had left, the, the year that they won in uh, 2008, yep. uh, I was still living in Japan at the time. And my brother sent me like this long email. He's like, if you haven't watched any of the games this playoffs, because, you know, it's a different time zone and I'm at work while the games are going on usually and that kind of thing, or I'm asleep, either one. Um, but he's like, you, you have to watch these games. It's like poetry. They just, yeah. they always have the puck. Amen. Like, I don't know how I... anybody could beat them. And the, the next year when the Penguins did beat them, it took a miraculous slave by Fleury in game seven. It took yeah. Osgood losing his net because he's Osbad and giving yeah. Talbot the second goal. And like it, it actually took it's it's ridiculous to say but it actually took lidstrom basically getting you know uh quote unquote sports hernia but apparently like he had an issue with his groin that we can't even get into yeah and like that's the only way they could win because if lidstrom had been fully healthy i don't think they would have won that cup like just that because he's that important right i remember that too like i i watched both the the 08 and the 09 finals Mm -hmm. in kind of like just awe at the red wings yeah, and they, like they the only thing I can compare it to, and this 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 is I apologize for switching sports on people, but would be the 2014 uh, San Antonio Spurs or the uh, or the 20 um, I guess the 20 
15 Golden State Warriors. Uh, no, no 2016. Yeah. The first time they I'm won. getting my years wrong. Yeah, yeah. 2016. Um, the first time they won it. Yeah. So 20. Anyway, uh, whatever year they won. Um, and and it was like it. The equivalent is just like you would you would watch these these Red Wing players, and it was just like it was hard to believe that it was even competitive. Yeah. Because yeah. they were so. They had the puck so long, and they they seemed to be able to do anything they wanted, exactly. and like you'd be like, I remember being incredulous. I didn't have any any um you know horses in that race. I didn't. I'm not a Red Wings fan. I'm not a Penguins yeah, fan. Same here, yeah. But like I remember being shocked that the Red Wings lost against the next year, because I was just like, I can't believe. Like it just looked so perfect, you know. Like they looked perfect, and you were just like in awe. Uh, of this i was anyway I, I was blown away by it that's that's actually like that that reminds me when in 2011 when vancouver won their first president's trophy they were playing very much that red wing style of hockey yeah where the skate teams into the dirt they always had the puck and the third period would be up 2-1 and i'd be like oh, we're gonna win this 4-1 aren't we and then sure enough they pot two goals. like the other team just looked like they didn't have a chance i'm like man we're really good all of a sudden like what happened yeah. And my brother looked at me, he's like, kind of play like the Red Wings. I'm like, ah, there we go. <laughs> we figured out how to play like the Red Wings. And then unless you're hurt, you'll probably win. So I think that they really sort of changed hockey. And everybody craps on the LA Kings and say, oh, you know, they just, you know, they just played defensively that first cup and quick was on fire. They they always have the puck. Like that's, yep. LA's hard to play against and they grind and they don't push the pace enough. I think that they're starting to realize that. But when LA's on their game, man, they always have the puck. Because there was a there was a famous moment in a press conference. I can't remember which run it was, either their first or second cup run, where like Daryl Sutter, the most old school, at least in appearance and yeah. in 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 his <laughs> in his manner and his um his, his, his drawl, <laughs> yeah, his permascal, but also his uh like the way he speaks, his slow approach to speaking just the most old school hockey guy in appearance you know said in a press conference you know we're gonna win more games where we have the puck more than the other team and and there was like a like oh right everyone sort of figured this out finally everybody except the the leafs coach at the time um that's another story <laughs> um <laughs> But anyway, uh, <laughs> enough about this. Yeah, Fedorov was an integral part of changing hockey. I think it's safe to say as part of the Red Wing, those Red Wings things. I would agree. Yeah, as well. And so we both think he should be in the hockey all fan. Absolutely. Let's let uh, let's move on to um, a time when nobody had any idea, probably what even possession was, mm -hmm. um. And talk about a guy who, if he played defense, you wouldn't guess it from his stat line. Uh, this, this is Joe Malone, um, who, along with Newsy Lalonde, uh, who we talked about a few episodes ago, is the candidate for the, the biggest offensive star of the very early NHL. He played in the NHL from 1917 to 1924. That's seven seasons, four of which were quality because he was injured a lot. He scored four, 143 goals, which was second all-time in his retirement in 1924. He had 32 assists, which give you an idea of what the league was like at the time, uh, which is four, was 14th all-time in his retirement. 
uh, for 175 points, which was third all time in his retirement. And he played 126 games, which would have put him 14th with 21.5 point shares, which was 10th all time. Um, Malone was the career leader in goals, uh, scored total in a career uh, for just the 1920-21 season. And he was passed right after that. Uh, he set the career lead in points in the first ever NHL season, and he regained that career lead in the 1921-22 season, but he was passed that next season by Cy Denny, who we will talk about shortly in, in a subsequent episode. Um, Malone was fourth all-time in offensive point shares when he retired. He had an 82-game average of 93 goals, 21 assists for 170, 107 points. Pardon me. Um, his three-year peak of 1917 to 1920 was a 24-game average of 38 goals and seven assists for 45 points. Uh, his playoffs, uh, because there were very few playoffs at the time, uh, six goals, two assists for eight points in nine games. His adjusted numbers, hilarious as they are, 189 goals, 142 assists for 331 points. That is a ridiculous, absurd, adjusted 82 game average of 123 goals, 92 assists for 215 points. It's not it's real. Hard. It's pretty hard to do that in a video game, even now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think you could. Yeah. Um, and this, of course, we've mentioned this many times. Adjusted stats are flawed for the 19 teens and 1920s. Um, Lone is third all-time in adjusted points per game if the qualifier is set at an absurdly low 82 games, which is silly. He was traded at the end of his career. His NHA numbers, uh, he was in the NHA from 1910 till it turned into the NHL in 1917. He played seven seasons, six quality, 179 goals, which is first all-time, 27 assists, which is as high as second all-time, but we don't, as we've said many times, we don't have all the numbers. Uh, 206 points, which is first all-time for sure in 123 games, which is as high as fourth all-time. If the qualifier is set to 82 games, Malone is third in goals per game and assists per game and first in points per game in the NHA in its entire history. Uh, his 20-game average in the NHA was 29 goals, four assists for 33 points. I I did not figure out his three-year peak because that was involving too much arithmetic. <laughs> and also, uh, the NHA didn't have playoffs for half of its run, and when it did introduce them, his team wasn't good enough, so um, he never played a playoff game in the NHA. He was also in the Ontario Professional Hockey League for one season, in which he scored 10 goals in 12 games in 1909-10. Uh, he was in the CHA as well, which is one of the leagues we talked about in our amateur episode. He was in it for uh, only... Uh, two games, but that turns out it was half the season because teams played four games that year, 1909-1910 as well. He had five goals in those two games. He was also in the ECHA, another team, another league we talked about in our um, amateur season, uh, and he uh, scored eight goals in 12 games in that one season, 1909, or 1908-1909, which is his first season or pro or semi-pro. All right. Joe Malone, accomplishments. Best player by point shares once in uh, 18. Set the single season record in point shares, not broken until 24-25. Uh, he was top five twice, uh, also including uh, 1920. He was top 10 four times, 1921 and 1922 included, along with uh, 18 and 20. Um, he was the best offensive player by offensive point shares once in 18. Set the single season record in offensive point shares. The record was not broken until 1924-25. He was top five four times, adding 19, 20, 21, and 22. He was the top defensive player by defensive point shares once in 1918. So we know this is bunk. 
<laughs> Doesn't make any sense because we have no stats. Um, he uh, scored 40 goals once, the only player to do so for nearly 30 years. Uh, he scored 35 goals twice, the only player to do so at his retirement. He scored 25 goals thrice, one of only three players at his retirement. 20 goals four times, one of only three players at his retirement. He set the single season, uh, single season record in goals held until 1944-45 and led the league in goals twice, and he was top four four times. Sorry, top five four times. Um, he set the single season record for goals per game, still held to this day, led the league in goals per game twice, top five five times. He uh, was top five in assists twice. He was top five in assists per game once, top, five, top 10 twice. He set the single season record in points twice. The second record would, still, would stand until 1927-28. He led the league in points twice, and he was top five five times. He set the single season record in points per game, and uh, the record would still stand until 1981-82 and is still ninth all time if you ignore games played. Um, he led the league in points per game thrice and top five four times. Pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. Um, in the NHA, he scored 40 goals twice, probably the only player ever. Uh, 25 goals three times, 20 goals five times. He was top five in goals per game at least three times. He was top 10 at least four times. He led the league in goals twice. Uh, top five at least three times, top 10 at least four times. He was top five in assists probably twice top 10 at least three times he was top five in assists per game at least once he was top 10 at least three times he led the league in points once top five three times top 10 four times he was top five in points per game at least three times top 10 at least four times other leagues not on the echa leaderboard the year he played not enough information about the ophl and cha we have no idea what he did in those leagues yeah. <laughs> Um, and for his great teams, he was a top three forward by points on one NHL uh, champion, the 1919 Canadians, which uh, didn't um, get to finish the Stanley Cup final because that's the year that Joe Hall was killed by the Spanish flu and it got canceled. And he was um, also a top three forward on, uh, by points on one NHL runner-up, the uh, 1918 Habs. And then he was a top six forward by points on one NHL runner-up, the 1923 uh, Habs, and on the roster of one NHL Stanley Cup champion, the 24 Habs. But he he seems to have been he seems to have not played, but is considered to have won the cup for some reason. Um, I don't know whether he was just injured all year or what. Um, he was the best player by points on one NHA Stanley Cup champion, the 20 uh, the 20 the 1913 Bulldogs. He was the top three forward by points and captain of one NHA Stanley Cup champion, the uh, 1912 Bulldogs. Those are the Quebec Bulldogs, by the way. Um, so much like with Lalonde, I think the question isn't so much whether he belongs in the Hall of Fame, but is like, can we even... I, I know it's impossible. It's an impossible question because of the, the time that has changed. But like, I think just like Lalonde, he's one of the greatest hockey players of all time. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and one that like the only reason we can't for sure say he is in a particular tier of that group of players is because we just don't have enough information. His 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 debut season, he scored forty four goals and four assists, which everyone who doesn't know anything about the early NHL 
always says like what a puck hog but it's because any uh, assists were barely tracked at the time yeah. um and barely awarded but th- that's 44 those 44 goals you know that record as as you pointed out held for almost three decades yeah um which is crazy yes it and is. <laughs> and like because seasons were a quarter of the length they are today or or slightly more than a quarter but barely um no one has ever managed to do what he did again because it was what 0.2 2.2 goals per game i think or something which is just absurd but like i'm sure gretzky did did that over a 20 game stretch at some point in his career but never managed it in a um uh never managed it in a 82 game season and um or nor did Hull or anybody else who, you know, uh, Lemieux. Um, but I mean, his numbers are, you know, uh, you you made the comment about his adjusted numbers, which are totally skewed because of uh, the lack of assists. But like, um, you know, they're video game numbers a little bit. You know, his his NHA eight, uh, twenty game average, thirty three points every twenty games, and his NHL uh 20 game average 24 game average 45 points every 24 games it's just like they're bonkers now some of that is um you know uh, uh, we we've talked about this in earlier episodes where we were wondering maybe guys like this just were better skaters you know we're able to skate on the shitty skates better than everybody else and that's why <laughs> yeah how how good are you are skating <laughs> That well, should I mean, actually be like an old timey like guy comes up and you know he's trying to get together a hockey team. The Renfrew Millionaires. How good are you at skating on butter knives, kid? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like we don't we don't know. I mean, maybe he had this incredible shot or something. Yeah. But it could be something as simple as like he was just able to cope with the conditions better than everybody else. Yeah. You know, I I I'm sure I brought. I hope I haven't said this on the podcast before, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, and if I think, I know I've told you this bill, but I'm not sure I said it on the podcast. So like the next time I bring it up in the podcast, tell me to shut up. Um, (laughs) there, there's a guy, uh, a football player, uh, named Raymond Berry, who, um, was an elite receiver for the Colts in, uh, the fifties or the sixties. I can't remember. And the reason why he was an elite receiver was not because he was athletic. It was because of two things. One was he he watched film at a time when nobody watched film, and he knew <laughs> what like he he knew what the defensive players were going to do because he watched them. Yeah. He would he would spend the entire summer and spring watching film of them, and so like and he would like keep a list of everybody, and so when he went to run plays, he knew where the guys liked to spend time, and so he would like he would sort of lead them in those ways. And then he would like go the other direction. (laughs) And the other thing is he didn't drink. (laughs) And he was just in way better shape than everybody else because he wasn't hungover all the time. And he didn't have to spend the first third of the season getting back into shape because he didn't spend the entire season drunk. Well, off season drunk, which is what was very common at the time. And I wonder, I don't know if there's a book about Joe Malone out there. Uh, there probably is. And I probably should read it. But <laughs> this this book that I read about Raymond Barry, um, it like it it talked about that. It's like he, this is a guy who wasn't particularly tall. 
He didn't have the world's greatest hands and he was not super fast. And yet he was elite. And I wonder how much of that was in someone like New Zealand or, or Joe Malone, where he was just, he had an edge and that edge was like, you know, like I said, better skater or faster or, um, you know, just had a better sense of, mm-hmm. I don't know. We have no idea, but I wonder if it was something like that rather than just, I can score goals really well. Yeah. Well then, I mean, it's, uh, it's like the, the old, uh, I mean, Cyclone Taylor was called Cyclone Taylor because it's like clear that he was far and away the best skater and the, for his entire career, right? Like we kind of know that from his nickname. Yeah. Sometimes a guy doesn't have a nickname, but his stats are just outstanding. You're like, what did he do? And it's just like, oh, he uh, didn't go out and drink and smoke cigars all night and party like an animal. He actually just uh, came to work like it was a job. And uh, so he was in great shape and he took care of himself and uh, he was far and away the best player. <laughs> yeah. What? I mean, it could be. That could be the explanation. Like, like this is the thing that like I find so fascinating about Malone. Because if you look at in that first year, he had eight more goals than the next player. Yeah. And that's in a 22 game season. Yeah. Oh, it's far and away better. Yeah. Like that's crazy. And I mean, he was, how old was he at the time? Um, he was, he'd been playing for a while. So he was 27, wow. you know, which is, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's still decent. There's been lots of good NHL seasons at age 27, but like one of the things that we've learned now that people actually like record everything and you know, have data is that um, you know that the that's right at the that's nearing the end of the offensive peak of the average forward. You know there are obviously forwards who like score lots of points in their thirties, but they are not the rule. They are the exception. And exactly. here's a guy, like a generational player, or somebody who's like yeah. a lock hall of famer who keeps scoring at that base. This guy led the league in in points at, at age twenty nine, which is like again not that rare, but. Um, and 27 and 29. Um, of course he had terrible injury luck cause he also, he barely, he only played eight games in, in the season between those two. But, um, you know, here he is, he's, he doesn't have like the fresh legs necessarily, you know, he's not 19 when he scores 44 goals in 20 games. So I feel like it can't necessarily be, he was just, I mean, maybe he was an incredible athlete but I feel like it's probably the explanation is probably something else. Like you said, like he was just a professional or something and he was just like, I don't know. Um, You know know what? It's one of these things that I don't know if I should get into this too much, um, but a good example of it would be it's there's a, there's a comedian that has this like famous bit. I can't remember who it is um, for the life of me. So I'm not giving him credit, but I probably should, but he, he has this bit and he's like, you know, just like, well, you know, everybody's all hopped up on steroids and hitting these home runs. He's like, they used to take drugs that kept them from hitting home runs. <laughs> like, yeah. Show up all hung over and try to hit a home run. Like, good luck with that, buddy. Like, yeah, you, you got juice. So, of course, you're hitting 70 of them. Like, try doing it with a hangover and, uh, you know, worrying about if you have a venereal disease. Like, it's this whole, <laughs> it's this whole like, shtick that he has. It's really clever. But it reminds me of what you were saying about conditioning where – the guy that pops into my mind is Mickey Mantle because he had a well-documented huge drinking problem once he came yeah. to New York City. Yeah. But he was an Oklahoma farm boy who came out, and the reason he was so 
damn strong and he hit the ball for miles. It's because since the age of 10, he'd been bailing hay. So he had these like massive arms. And it's yeah. like, if, imagine if he'd kept training that way instead of getting into booze. Even yeah, if yeah. like by the old standards of training, all he would have done is go home for the summer and kept yeah. bailing hay. But I mean, he would have been so strong and he probably would have shattered Babe Ruth's records. And, and But instead... He got involved in the nightlife and, you know, started drinking. And in the old days, there was, there's a famous um, story by Mickey Mantle where it's, they, they sent him up there and the manager was so mad that he got drunk before, the, like the night before, and he was too hungover to play. And he's a star player. So he basically sent him up anyways. And he said, oh, I'm going to make an idiot or you're going to strike out. And then he hit a home run. <laughs> the guy, like he came out wobbly and the manager from the other team ran up to the mound and said, look, that guy's clearly still half in the bag. Just throw at his head. He'll never be able to hit it. And so he threw one up really high and he smacked a home run like on the first pitch. And then he, yeah. everybody said like, how the hell did you hit a home run? Weren't you still drunk? He said, I just, I saw three balls. I swung at the middle one. <laughs> and everybody's just like, get out of here. And then he's like, you want to know what the hard part was? Running around the bases. That Because <laughs> he was so hungover. You're like, you're that good. And imagine if you had had today's like dedication to the sport that they have. Like it would yeah. be the numbers you would put up with some of those guys that were just had that God-given talent would be astronomical. Well, the, the, the player, the hockey player I'm thinking of, and this is maybe unfair to him because I don't actually know, but I'm just going by his physique, is Phil Esposito. Yeah. You know, here's a guy who set the NHL record in points by a lot once the league expanded. And we'll get into, you know, all that when we get to him in terms of, like, how much of that was him and how much of that was expansion. Yeah. But, like, that guy, I see pictures of him in games and i'm like you're you're not in shape at all man oh, I know. <laughs> like you've got fat on you and like and you're like the best offensive player in the league imagine if you'd if you'd like trained <laughs> yeah but the thing is in that in those days nobody did so i think nope. if everybody did he yeah. still just would have been that good relative to his oh yeah yeah if yeah. everyone if everyone did yeah i think totally. absolutely there yeah. it would have been an even playing field what i'm more wondering is like if someone like that who was able to dominate offensively without appearing to be in any kind of physical shape mm-hmm. and and i don't know maybe he actually was in better shape than he looked yeah well so, some like, guys just have that sort of a build right yeah well like look look at uh toronto's former favorite punching bag right <laughs> phil kessel looks yeah. like he is not an athlete he looks roly-poly and then he's like a top five fast skater in the league. he's extraordinarily yeah. fast yeah and you wouldn't know it to look at him so there are guys like that for sure and maybe espo was just one of those guys i didn't i was not alive uh, until the very end of his career and i was a baby at the <laughs> end of it and i was not watching but like i just i think of someone like him when you're talking about mantle and think like yeah. imagine imagine you had a training regimen and I nobody know. else in the league did just you oh. That's, like that's you might have scored two hundred points. Like, yeah. Jesus. When you watch the documentary about uh, the nineteen seventy two Summit Series, that the they the, the guys were just sort of getting themselves into shape for yeah. playing, and then they went over and played the Russians, and all the Russians did was work out twenty four seven because they were in the army. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't really have a choice, and that was their job was to work out for hockey. Um, and so they came over and they played these guys who, I mean. At the time, 
the Russian players are very good, but I mean the NHL players are clearly better. Skill wise. Yeah. But like, man, like the Russians just like they could just skate miles around them. And those first games, everybody's like, what the hell just happened? Be like, all those guys do is work out. You were drinking beer all summer. What do you think right. was gonna happen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then like the tide turns in, in Russia when they finally get into game shape, but just barely, like, because man, they like the Russians were actually very good. Um, but like they, you know, they, they could have lost. I mean, if, if, if those guys didn't have the will to win and the elite skill level of being the best players in the NHL, they could have lost that just by being out of shape. <laughs> like, that's yeah. how much it mattered. Like they never should have been down. I think the, I mean, it made it more dramatic and everything, but yeah. like, it, it feels like I'm taking something away from the Russians. I mean, you know, we did have to break their best player's ankle to win. <laughs> um, thanks, Bobby Clark. Um, but, you know, like, I mean, we should have won that, I think, just based on the skill level and if we'd had Bobby or Big Difference, too. But, like, like the difference in conditioning was, like, like astounding. Like, just all the old players are – Oh, they came in. Oh, we'll work ourselves into shape over the next three weeks. Meanwhile, the Russians have been in that shape for like the last five years. Yeah, and they're yeah. ready to rock. Like you're in big trouble. So I think yeah, there's a lot of things in sports where we just have no idea whether it was just this guy's in better shape than everyone, so he dominates, or he was actually much much better at the sport. You know, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll never really know that stuff. And and with Joe Malone, it's like you know, there's I don't know if there's what kind if there's any footage at all of him playing, but whatever it would be, it would be really slow. Like, you know, <laughs> 1920s, like the frame rate is so slow kind of footage. It wouldn't really be helpful. Yeah. The, the, the one that makes Babe Ruth look like he has tiny little super fast legs and a slow. Yeah. Day. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we, we'll never be able to know where he, he sits, you know, just like Lalonde though. I think Lalonde because Lalonde was dominant, um, in like every league he played in yeah. like for me, I go back and forth between which guy was the better player. Cause I think they were, they were kind of different, but like yeah. Lund played longer and he was, he was, I think he had fewer injury problems. Um, so that was luck there, but like he, he, um, you know, he did sort of just, he didn't have like off years really. Whereas, Malone did on occasion, and when I say off years, they're not really that bad. It's more that he didn't play as many games. But yeah. um, I, so I don't really know who's the better player. But I think both of these guys, you know, you sort of just have to say, well, like they're like the the two best players to come from the NHA to dominate the NHA and then go in the NHL. But because of how long ago it was, and because we have so little information, that's all we can really say. We can't say, you know, like. Like even compared to someone like Howie Morenz or something, like we just, or or uh, Nell Stewart, like we have so much more information about those guys because they oh, played yeah. their entire career in the NHL, and um, it's just you can't really say like where do they rank in the top, however many players in the NHL history. Because you almost have to give the whole era before they added the second assist, like its yeah. own its own like wing of the hall of fame and be like back when the the game was different and there were six guys on each roster or seven or whatever it was um these two were the best of forwards you know and like the, and leave it at that i don't know it seems but, yeah i mean there's so little we know but i think the fact that you're 
one of the best in the league at the time in which you play sort of makes you, I, in my mind, at least basically a lock for the hall, right? If you play yeah. 10 years and prove yourself to be the best guy in that time frame, then I mean, like how, how do you keep a guy like that out of the hall? Well, like uh, just, just one last thing about how ridiculous he was. Most he has, he has these records still most goals in one game, seven. Most games played with five goals or more. Five. Wow. Highest goals per game average, obviously, you know, uh, 2.2 in uh, 1970-18. Fastest player in history to score 100 goals in only 62 games, Man. which is bonkers. Um, most consecutive three or more goal games, uh, three, which is uh, which Mike Bossy tied, by the way. Uh, and longest consecutive goal scoring streak to start an NHL career, 14 games in his first season. So like, you know, he was, he was good. He's very good. That's it. And there's, no, there's no reason that we could even debate that he shouldn't be in. Yeah. He is, he is one of the greatest players of all time. And the only reason we can't say like, you know, he's in the top 10 or top five or top 25 or whatever is because we just don't have enough information. Yeah. Totally. All right. All right. Um, that concludes this episode, I guess. I think so. And uh, so thanks everyone for listening and we will be back with another episode shortly and uh, we will see you then. All right.